You are listening to Redefining Rural, a podcast dedicated to celebrating, elevating, and changing the way we think about rural education in the state of Colorado and beyond. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to follow us on your favorite social media platform. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Redefining Rural podcast. Michelle Murphy with the Rural Alliance. Super excited to be back with Kirk Banghart and our guest today, who will introduce themselves. Danielle LaPlatt is on the road yet again, so she will not be with us today, and we miss her, of course. So uh, this season, as we said on our last recording, we're really trying to focus on innovative and exciting teacher recruitment and retention projects and programs in rural Colorado. And one of the the biggest concerns around recruitment and retention is housing. And whether it's the availability of housing in certain communities and or the cost of housing in certain communities or some combination of the two, it is a concern in I would the vast majority of rural school districts in the state, something they all have in common, unfortunately. But fortunately, the Telluride Foundation, led by Paul Major, is doing some incredible work around um, providing housing for educators and I think other public employees, if I remember some of our conversations um, in the past. So we are here with Paul and we're here with Todd Bittner, the superintendent of the Norwood School District, uh, to tell us a, a little bit or a lot about their project. And Todd, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Norwood students, where you're located, and then we'll kick it over to Paul to talk about the project. Cool. Um, well, again, my name is Todd Bittner. I'm the superintendent of schools in, in Norwood Public Schools. Norwood is a is is a small rural, and Colorado is 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 bespeckled with those all over the state. As I was I was mentioning to everyone, we're about five and a half hours from a, a major airport, and the closest one is really Salt Lake City. Um, we are on the west southwest side of the state. And being in the southwest side of the state, if you look at a map, there's mountain ranges that surround us. Uh, literally, we can see the LaSalle's and, and the backside of Moab from one place, and we can see the San Juans in another. It is one of the most beautiful areas, but it is isolated and isolated for all kinds of services. And when we have a teacher that wants to come here, they're coming here to take advantage of the beauty and the landscape. But there's also an, an, a, a acceptance that you're an hour and 20 minutes from a Walmart. You're an hour and 20 minutes from a large grocery store. We have 200 students in our school district. Uh, my, our, I would consider it my brother or sister school district is the West End School District. Um, we have very similar demographics. We, we have, uh, you know, anywhere from, from 30 to 45% um, free and reduced. And, and partly that's because we provide the uh, workers for the Telluride ski area. And because of that, we have a lot of transient folks and we have a lot of folks that, that come and go out of our schools. We struggle with stability. We struggle with being able to provide a well-rounded life experience for a single person. I mean, families can make, can establish themselves because it's a gorgeous, beautiful way. We have, you know, one out of 10, you know, one to 10 ratio with our teachers to students. And it's an exciting place to be able to work. But, but where do you live? 
Um, you know, houses here are extremely expensive because we're only 40 minutes from Telluride. It's a beautiful location, wonderful place, but really it's a place that's challenged to be able to find living and to find a, a place for, for single people to be here. And as, as every school district in the state is struggling with how to retain its students and how to retain its teachers and how to attract teachers, you have to become innovative in your solutions. And I was very lucky because Paul had already done all of this work. You know, I walked into this job and, 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 and 95% of this work was already done. And, and I put billboards up in the city to try to recruit teachers. But even if I have a teacher that wants to come here, I haven't had a place to put them. And, and here in Norwood and in the West End and in San Miguel County, we have the Telluride Foundation that really looks to, to find an innovative solution, a new solution in partnerships with communities, community members, and school districts to try to create a fantastic living arrangement for kids that are coming out of college, that are looking for new opportunities. And that's what we're going to try to do here. Um, Paul, Paul and, and I met for the first time just a few months ago, looking at the foundation of what's going to be a house for our teachers. And how exciting is that? That not only do you get to come and live in some of the most beautiful areas in the state, you get to walk into a brand new house. And, and, and that's pretty cool stuff because not every teacher gets that opportunity. And it certainly couldn't be done without community partnerships, the town, the county, the county gave the land. And, and Paul can talk to all of those amazing relationships. But again, any of the solution that we're going to have to have in rural Colorado has to do with establishing relationships that are supportive of each other and to make sure that they're going to work in the long term. These are not short term fixes. These are long term fixes. And that's what our goal is. Our goal is to make sure that this is the start of a continual process. Well, and super exciting. Paul and Todd were sharing with Kirk and I that the first of the houses are actually on their way to Norwood as we speak. So that's super cool. Um, Paul, why don't you tell a little bit, tell us a little bit about the housing initiative and, and your work in that regard. Thank you, Michelle. So I'm Paul Major, and I was formerly the CEO of the Telluride Foundation for 20 plus years. We we started thinking and working on affordable housing uh, about six or seven years ago within the Telluride Foundation, partly because we saw it as the single most important multiplier in rural communities. So when you talk about economic development or community development or how are our schools doing, how are we doing on healthcare? How are we doing on health equity? It all comes back to housing. If you don't have access to high quality, uh, affordable housing, it, it, you know, you don't have much in a community. So uh, we incubated this idea at the foundation. We then have spun it off. And now I'm running the, the what have we have spun off called uh, Rural Homes. So I now work, uh, it's a nonprofit uh, developer. And essentially, the, the approach on rural homes is to attack the cost of construction, because there's really only two ways to deal with affordable housing or to build an affordable house. One is through tax credits, which are very competitive and are typically given for very large projects and rental projects, or two is attack the costs. 
So if you think about building a house, there's basically four costs. There's the cost of land, the cost of money to finance the building of the house, and then the cost of the house itself. So our approach, and this is what ties right back to school districts, was to go look for free land. And frankly, we, you know, we we are not doing this in Norwood with free land, but we looked at other school districts to say, you're long on land and short on teachers. How about if we build some homes for you, you know, and make them available at below market costs for your teachers to attract and retain teachers? So it's as simple as that. The way to, to sort of illuminate or illustrate the gap between affordability and the, the, the crisis that we're all in is pretty easy through teachers, right? Or school district employees. The average teacher wage, I think, is $47,000 in the state. They can essentially afford a $250,000 home with that salary. There are no $250,000 homes being built in our rural communities. And what's priced at $250,000 is typically you know, on wheels, so, or old and dilapidated. So we're asking, you know, to Todd's point, we're asking teachers to come and relocate to a, a great community, but where they're going to live is so below the standard of their career. I mean, it's just, it's just simple economics. So we've got to solve this. And it's, it's, it's easy to sort of illuminate the, as I said, the problem with be, through teachers but it's repeated with government employees. So most of these towns can't hire a town planner because they can't, there's no housing, even though they're paying good wages, they can't keep first responders. They can't hire uh, nurses. So you just go down all these critical, these are long-term stable careers in great communities, but none of that works without housing. It, it just, you know, it all comes back to housing. So um, that's that's essentially, you know, what we're trying to do is create a model where we could build some housing in a place like Norwood, make it available, priced at the at the salaries of local teachers, uh, and then rinse and repeat and see if we can do it over and over again. These are relatively small subdivisions, but Norwood's a small town. But this is in Norwood, we're building 24 homes. It's the first new subdivision they've seen in 30 years. And these houses are priced between a two-bedroom, two-bath house at 225000 up to 400000 for a three-bedroom, three-bath with a garage. Uh, the $225,000 house is about half of what it actually costs to build. So anybody that thinks you can build a house for $200 a square foot is not including all the costs. When you build roads and sewers and sidewalks and, you know, yards and fence the yards and landscape and deal with all the real rules and regulations and everything else, the cost of construction has, has dramatically gone up. And this is not just COVID. This is just the escalation because there's a lot more demand for that sector the labor sector, the material sector and construction, then there is supply. So prices are going to go up and there, it has nothing to do with inflation. I mean, this is a very similar to healthcare costs that have been just rising for a long period of time. Construction costs have been doing the same thing. So we're now in an era where the cost to actually build a modest, you know, home for a generation 
just outpaces most of our salaries in a local community. So, Paul, talk to us a little bit how, how through the collaboration, how have you guys been able to drop that cost per square foot uh, in the project and the work that you're doing? So again, it's free land. So you take out the cost of land that could be 10 to 15% of the cost of, of building a house. We get very low cost money. So we have gone out to some of the Colorado foundations and gotten very low cost loans to, to create a construction revolving loan fund. So we use that to build the house. And then when the house sells, we repay that loan. We've matched that with state money. So the state has been a the most important partner in this, Department of Local Affairs and Department of Housing. So they provide us a, a you know, a, a pretty good grant. In the case of Norwood, it's it was about $25,000 per home, was an outright grant. And then we've got $4 million in a loan fund from the state. And we combine that with $4 million that we raised from foundations. So, and, and, but that's not enough. We still need to go out and get some other grants. So in the case of Norwood, we'll have about a million five in grants and on a $10 million construction project. So what we need to do, if you just do the math, $10 million to build it, a million five in grants, we now need to sell those homes for 8.5 million. So we, so we break even. So the, it's, it's, Simple math. It's great. It's, you know, uh, but but you need to the reality that uh, that the cost to build a quality home, again, a, a, a home, two bedroom, two bath with it, with a storage unit and surface parking and landscaping that is just far outpaced the reality that is outpaced the salaries of not just teachers, but town planners and nurses and first responders and me and most of the people in the community that are making a good salary, have a great career, but there's nothing available as far as housing. That was depressing. <laughs> well, well, let me let me see if I can underpress it just a little bit and, and understand that as as Paul's talking about all of the, the infrastructural issues in running a small community, especially when it comes to the housing pieces, you know, my parents uh, uh, are also part of this entire catchment of not being able to afford to live here. If mm -hmm. they're living 35 miles outside of town, or if they can't place have a place to live that's consistent, because frankly, rental prices are going to continue to increase because the amount of housing that's available in a in a area outside of this small rural area, those prices keep getting up, going higher. So the prices in the community keep going higher. So like he's saying, you know, you know, I've got parents here that are first responders that that work in Telluride or that work for the town and and they don't have a place to live. And if we don't provide some form of reasonable housing for them and people in their heads may be going, isn't it more effective to be able to have apartments and and have apartment buildings? What you want to do is establish a sense of ownership and a sense of community. How does a person start and establish a life if they don't do it with a sense of ownership? I mean, getting into a two-bedroom apartment that's been rented 300 times is no way of creating a community. You create community by ownership, by having a sense of, of pride in what you have. And, and for us, you know, our plan is with, our, with, the, with the house that we bought is to have that be a starter place. We love this community. 
we'll, you know, it'll be an opportunity for them to be in a brand new place for our staff to be able to get a foothold in this community. And as, 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 as Paul's project, as the Telluride Foundation projects grow and increase in our region, they're going to then be able to go and get their own home. I mean, we have to be creative in creating a, a route in our community because the transient nature of teaching has gotten greater and greater. And we as communities need to come together with our local businesses, our local governments and say, how do we get people to stay? Because they can visit for a year, but they can't live. So there's a value in having that ownership. And that's where those relationships came in. So uh, Todd, you had mentioned that the district bought a house is that Correct. you'll then lease that out to employee and employee? Well, we'll, we'll if, if a family of, we bought a three bedroom house and if a family of a family wants to come in that has to, needs it, um, they'll have a, an opportunity of getting it. If I've got individuals that would just like to rent out a, a part of one of the rooms and rent the house, they're welcome to do that. We're very open-minded on meeting the needs of what's coming into the community. I think that one of the things that we need is that flexibility, being able to provide something that is ours, that provides different opportunities for staff members to come in. And again, to get a sense for the community and, and do we wanna stay here or not? So, so uh, it, it can also be a, it also can be used as a tool for recruitment. Yeah. You, you have a family, I would love to hire a, a couple that's teachers the couple that's, that has somebody that's a middle school math and a high school science, like how I threw that math and science in there, because that couple exists everywhere in the state. Um, but, but I would really love to be able to use it in that term, Michelle. I'd really like to be able to use it as a promotion to be able to attract teachers to us. And then the other, you, Paul, you mentioned, I think, 24 homes. So the other homes are available for sale to a certain group of people, right? It's, I'm assuming there's some restrictions in the deed or how does that work? Yeah, all of the houses are deed restricted. So they're deed restricted by income. So it's, you know, I hate to talk, talk in this jargon, but it's 120% area medium income and below. So as a household, you've got to make less than 120 area medium income for your county and below. And that depends on your house, the household size. So if you're an individual, that may be $65,000 in um, that 120 AMI in San Miguel County. If you're a household of four, it may be $110,000. So it's income restricted. You've got to be at 120 and below. It's got to be owner occupied. So these are not rental properties. There are some opportunities, I think, for very, like a teacher maybe offer the summer, and maybe there's some opportunity for rental, but you you have to live in it. It is not designed for Airbnb or for you to live in Costa Rica and own this or whatever the scenario might be. Um, and you have to be in the workforce. That's the third. So we essentially take the definition of, of a teacher, the number of hours that a teacher works is the definition of, of the workforce. So the, 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 you know, deed restrictions are complicated because you're, you know, you're dealing with humans and there's a lot of variations on all of this, but they've also been around for a long time and they've been perfected in the courts and, and, and we've learned a lot of the, you know, the right way to do it. And, you know, they've had them in Aspen for 40 years and 30 years in Telluride. So we have a, we are very confident that our deed restriction really meets that goal of trying to, you know, have a teacher 
um, you know, or, or an individual settle down in a community and they're not going to get rich on their house because there is an appreciation cap. Now they may buy the house and they could sell it the next year, but there's a 3% appreciation per year. So, because if you don't have that appreciation cap, the next, you could buy this house tomorrow and resell it for twice as much because I, you know, as I just said, we just built it for way below the replacement cost. So those are the four deed restrictions that income, it's got to be owner occupied, you've got to be in the workforce, and there's an in there's a appreciation cap. But it seems that that's a really positive thing for teachers to be able to build equity and ownership in that it, they're not buying something that is going to cap them that they're not going to get return. But you also keep it within that same structure, if I'm understanding correctly, that down the road, this will still be more affordable while that individual did get to build equity. They may not get be able to build as much as, say, had they not been in this program, but it's not like a rental where they get nothing when they they leave, if I'm understanding that correctly. Is Kurt, that that's exactly right. But, yeah. but also the era when we bought a house and it became our entire net worth, right? We got all the appreciation. It would go up 10% a year and then we sold it. And all of a sudden, you know, we bought that house 30 years ago for whatever, 50,000 and it sold for 300. That era is over. Because the now the house costs three hundred thousand. It's already priced beyond the construction cost to build that house is already priced beyond my salary and teacher salaries. Yeah. So the era of this appreciation, you can't have it both ways. You can't build all this equity, this unlimited equity in a house, and then keep it affordable. So it's a three percent appreciation cap. You know, if they do remodeling, they'll get they'll get that adjustment in the price, you know, all of those things will, will, you know, tilt towards them being a long-term homeowner, taking care of the home, reinvesting in the home, but it's not going to be that unlimited appreciation, which we have basically experienced all of us. Um, and, and, you know, the other fact is the housing markets go down 2008 and 2009 prices went down. So, um, you're not always going to have your house appreciate, but anyway, that there's you can't you can't have this appreciation or this you know um, wealth building tool in housing and keep it affordable and going forward. Yeah, and, and, well, I think that's an interesting paradigm that probably for a lot of folks who, as you said, are in that older mindset is to understand that this is a new reality for many of our younger younger employees that having a a, a place is critical and not undergoing into it understanding that it may not be your retirement account is a different paradigm for a lot of folks. So I, I think I thank you for bringing that forward, Paul, because I think that really helps for me frame it in a lot of times of how we need to help people look at the housing in a different different light than the, maybe they're traditionally used to. Well, and you're bringing and, and like you said, Kurt, whatever they're bringing in to buy the home, they get to take with them when they leave the home. Yeah. And that's not something you have in a, in a rental property. That's not something you have in an apartment. Whatever you're putting into it, you're getting back from it. And, and although there's a cap on the, on, the, on the equity return, that doesn't mean that the work you're putting into it isn't coming back to you. And that's the piece that's huge. That's what allows that sense of ownership, that sense of pride. And, and I think it's important to think 
uh, think more holistically too about this, you know, um, wealth building, you know, uh, family wealth building or individual wealth building. So now you, you know, you buy this house, it's price capped or appreciation capped, but now you have stability in that cost of your, what's allocated towards housing in your household, in your household. Now you can think about retirement funds. You can think about uh, saving for college for your kids. You can think about health care. So one, when you stabilize housing, it has this multiplying effect where you can start to plan better for a whole bunch of other things that you've disregarded. And we've seen that. I mean, Habitat for Humanity famously says, you know, uh, household ownership is like a vaccine. It vaccinates you against all of these other dramas and traumas that are could happen. You lo you lose your job, you know, but you've got housing and you can work around it. You know, you still have to make your mortgage, but you can at least you've got, you know, some stability um, health issues, you know, saving for the future. So it does kind of change. It, do it doesn't kind of it changes that approach, which I think uh, particularly could be, you know, relevant for teachers that have good retirement plans. Uh, and so now they can think about other things and saving for college for their kids or investing in, you know, in adding to their retirement plans. So tell us a bit about other, I remember a conversation, Paul, with you and your team and a rural superintendent. And one of the things I learned there was it needs to be a piece of land that has access to improvements, i.e. water, sewer. Your, the, the pricing structure doesn't work if it's a more remote or isolated piece of property that doesn't connect quickly. Is that, is that correct? And that's why school district property is ideal. They're in the city. Theoretically, it's right there. Yeah. When there's what a town. Yeah. They do not have the streets in there, but, uh, you know, a one acre school district, a one acre parcel on a school district uh, property is perfect. You know, it can carry about 14 homes. You know, it has wow. water, fiber optics, power, all of that. Anytime you have to bring sewer, water, roads, any, all of that increases the price of the house. Sure. That makes great sense. How is there still, do you have capacity for, to initiate these projects? I'm assuming there's a fair amount of front loading of the work. Um, so should, should we be encouraging folks to get in touch with you if they're interested in pursuing this for their communities or are you maxed out currently? No, I think so. I think we want to build, you know, Michelle, I think in, the, in that, you know, is right up in your wheelhouse, at, you know, build a coalition that, you know, is there a track that we can really uh, scale up for Colorado? Yeah. Is there an approach that we need to scale up for Colorado? So, uh, and how do we do that? So we're just doing three pilots, probably four, maybe five pilots, but, you know, pilot projects, but I'm also talking to a, a health operator in Alamosa, healthcare oh, operator in Alamosa. And, and we're, we're, again, a nonprofit developer. We're trying to develop this model so it could be replicated. The state is very interested in replicating it. We're just not sure. First, we got to prove the model. Right. I got to get the houses that are being shipped now to Norwood on their foundation and Todd's teacher to move in there. So that's task number one, which should happen over the next 45 days, 60 days. Um, 
but you can't you can't scale up a model until you prove that it works and so that's that's where we are and um but yeah no we we nobody else has has got a reasonable approach to figuring out how to build housing for school district employees that's that's the bottom line and the state's super interested in you know how do we and, and I know the governor is, and how do we develop a model that could be replicated? The state has a lot of financing, but at the end of the day, this is about execution. This is about somebody, some entity going forward in partnership with a school district or a community to get a piece of land, to get it uh, the entitlements approved, to sign the contracts, commit to that $10 million, uh, and then go off and sell houses. And none of that is for the weak need. Right. <laughs> well said. Well, it, it's definitely exciting to, to hear what you guys are doing. And Todd, congratulations that they're on the road as we speak. And so we'll be excited to hear how this next 45 days goes for you uh, and hopefully how, how those teachers can move into that new place and and be an asset to your kids in your community so we're really excited about this potential and hearing about this innovation that you all are doing so definitely thank you guys for the work you're doing for the for the teachers and the communities paul thank you for for being a, a beacon in trying to tackle this new horizon uh, so thank you michelle anything else no, just send us some pictures, Todd, of, of all the happenings on the ground, and we'll throw it up on our social media, too. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll... Thanks, both. We'll be excited to hear and report on how things are going. Great. Thank you, guys. And thanks. Thank you, guys. Todd.